It is Psalm 51, and it goes like this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts, and teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O Lord, and the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you won't despise that. In your good pleasure make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you, then bulls will be offered on your altar. That's our reading today. Thank you. Last Sunday evening, Miles spoke on identity theft at our uh, baptismal service. And he mentioned that although Satan knows your name, he always labels you by what you've done. So you're the liar, the adulterer, the thief, the one into porn, the druggie or drunkard. You're the betrayer, the one who can't be trusted. You're selfish, you're uncaring. He constantly reminds you and he labels you by what you have done wrong. And for King David, I'm sure that Satan took every opportunity to rub his nose in it. You're the murderous adulterer. That's who you are. What does Satan keep accusing you of? What does he keep reminding you of? How does he label you? And do you accept that that's who you are, according to his label? For some of you here this morning, you've recently really blown it. 
you did what you know you shouldn't have done or you didn't do what you know you should have. You're feeling really rotten about it. It's eating away at you. You're feeling so guilty. Some of you can recall an occasion when you you sinned big time. And still Satan labels you by that, what you did. I want to talk this morning about a topic that's often overlooked. In fact, in some churches today, repentance, is what we're thinking about, repentance has been replaced with rededication. In recognising their sinfulness, Many a person has been encouraged to rededicate their lives to the Lord and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, but been encouraged to rededicate rather than repent. The problem with that is that rededication doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to change your ways, that you're going to stop, that you're going to turn away from doing what you've been doing wrong. We get caught out or we feel bad enough that we rededicate our our lives to the Lord once again. We say the right things and our heart is in the right place, but in time we find ourselves right back where we were before. It seems this cycle. Repentance, on the other hand, needs to come before rededication. Repentance is doing a U-turn, It's no longer doing what we know is sinful. Otherwise, we're likely to find ourselves in that same old mess once again, back where we've always been. You see, if Satan can keep accusing you by what you've done, he makes you believe that that's who you are. You've always been into porn, you're a a liar, you've always been a liar, you're always going to be selfish, you've always been a gossip, that's who you are. So he doesn't want you to repent. And the first sign that repentance is needed is guilt. And we've all struggled with guilt, haven't we? Who hasn't felt guilty because of something that they've done or didn't do? We've all felt guilty. But feeling guilty is a good thing because it shows that we're well aware that we've gotten it wrong, that we've messed it up once again, and that we need to seek forgiveness, that we need to put things right. Guilt can be a good thing. And so in our passage last Sunday morning, Jared spoke from 2 Samuel 12, where the the prophet Nathan confronted King David and pointed out how sinful and selfish he had been. King David saw what was pleasing to the eye. He took the forbidden fruit and he ate it. He saw a woman bathing on her rooftop and in lust, not only took her as his own, but arranged for the death of her husband Uriah. Now, having been confronted and convicted of his sin, what does David do? Does he continue to try to sweep it under the carpet? Does he seek to justify himself? Well, no, he doesn't. 
As we read in Psalm 51, he pleads for mercy from the Lord as he confesses his sin. And he asks for cleansing and through repentance he is restored in his relationship with God. He returns to being a man after God's own heart as he is described in Hebrews. And we see this from, very, from verse 1. David says, have mercy on... You can see, you can read it almost as though he's in tears. Have mercy on me, O Lord. According to your unfaithful love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Often we read it, we read scripture without much thought or feeling. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfaithful love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. That's not David, is it? Have mercy on me, Lord. Although the law had been given, David knew that it was impossible to keep the law such that we would be declared not guilty. David also knew that the only way to be right with God was through God's mercy and God's forgiveness. For God had declared this already way back in Exodus 34. Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7. And it's when Moses is chiselling out a second set of stone tablets that we read these words. The Lord. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Again, remember, Moses is chiselling out the the Ten Commandments. He's chiselling out the law. But it's the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Although he's the holy God and he, he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished, he is compassionate. He is gracious He forgives us of our sin as we appeal to him, to his mercy. David knew full well, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfaithful love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, forgive me. He knew that there was no way to keep the law. not to be declared not guilty. And so David doesn't remain in a state of guilt where Satan would want him to stay. You're the murderous adulterer. Satan wants to keep condemning us such that we condemn ourselves for our failures. He wants us to wallow in self-pity, to remain ineffective, to remain sorrowful and self-absorbed. Life's all about me and how miserable I am. Miserable sinner such as I. But this is not God's plan for you. Guilt can be a positive thing as it leads us to a place of humility and repentance. A place where we recognise our need for God's forgiveness and grace. It's then that we can walk in freedom and joy, knowing that we are forgiven and restored. David knows that his only hope is in God's forgiveness, just as Paul declared in Corinthians 
Paul said this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Salvation meant the, the, the fullness of, of being peaceful and joyful, not just spiritual salvation. And so guilt can be the catalyst that drives us to seek reconciliation with God and one another. Guilt can be a good thing, a positive thing. It can spark, it can be the spark that it ignites the desire for change and transformation in our lives that sets us free. So don't ignore guilt. But David then asked to be cleansed. Verse 2 Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then similar words in verses 7 to 9. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquity. When David asked the Lord to cleanse him with hyssop, he's referring to Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus 12, you'll read there that Moses is directing the people to take a bunch of hyssop and to dip it into the sacrificial blood of the lamb and then wipe it over the doorposts. This would ensure the salvation of those who remained within that house that night as the angel of death came their way. For us today, we are cleansed by the blood of the lamb of Jesus Christ. Our sin is washed away through faith. And as John declared, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Purifies us. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all and every sin. John goes on to say, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. God promises to forgive and to cleanse. And I think it's really important to ask for cleansing. to be cleansed from the negative aspects of guilt and to be cleansed from any other means through which Satan has a foothold back into our minds or thinking. To be cleansed of whatever it is that Satan has that foothold in your life. I think that like a lot of people at one stage, I had a bit of a problem with pornography. It wasn't a major problem, it wasn't an addiction but periodically it would raise its ugly head for me. And so on one occasion when I was seeking the Lord about this, I asked him to cleanse my mind. Cleanse my mind. And he revealed to me what it was that I had seen as a young lad that gave the devil this foothold to keep coming back time and time again. And when I asked the Lord to cleanse my mind, from that point on, I haven't had a problem. 
It's important to ask the Lord for cleansing. What is it that gives the devil that foothold that he can keep coming back? Because a foothold can become a stronghold, can become an addiction. It's important to ask God to cleanse our hearts and our minds, to give us a a clean heart. Why? Because the heart is the wellspring of life. Everything that you do flows from the position of your heart. And David asked God to cleanse him from his sin. And David didn't shy away from acknowledging his sin, and neither should we. For God does not despise a broken and contrite heart. He welcomes the humble. You notice how David owns up to his his own sin. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight to you. And so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me the wisdom in that secret place. Unlike Adam and Eve, David doesn't seek to blame anybody else. He says, I know my sin. It's always on my mind. You can, you can hear him saying, Satan keeps coming back and keeps throwing it in my face. It's always on my mind. But I confess it before you, Lord. I cannot hide from it or pretend that it never happened, that I didn't do what I did. And you're right to have Nathan expose me. In my sin, I can only appeal to your mercy. Please don't give me what I deserve. For all that you have desired is that we be faithful to you and to one another. He says that right near the end, that at the end of those verses. Yet you desired faithfulness. My sin has always been against you. David knew that he'd been unfaithful to God. But had he been faithful to God, then he would have been faithful in his earthly relationships. By his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba, he had sinned against God. He had been unfaithful to God. And therefore, not faithful to them. And this is something that we often forget. We don't necessarily want to see that our sin is against God. We acknowledge that we've failed and we've hurt others, but we don't see that that sin is necessarily directly against God. But it is. When we fail to live faithfully to the ways that God has designed for us, which is for the best for us and for the best for one another, then we've sinned against God. We've not lived how he wants us to live. But it's this remorseful heart of David that reveals his repentance 
You see, when Bathsheba first came into view, David was living to satisfy his own desires. Now he longs to live for the well-being of others and to the glory of God. And you'll notice this change in his heart as you hear these words. He begins, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He wants a clean heart, a steadfast spirit. He wants to remain in God's presence. He wants to be led by the Holy Spirit. And again, he wants to bask in the joy of God's salvation. Why? Verse 13. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are the God of my Saviour. You are my God and Saviour. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. As David does a U-turn away from sin and selfishness, he now longs that others will be drawn close to God and know God's salvation. He no longer living for himself, but living for God. And he understands that it is only by repentance that he will rest in joy and peace with God, that he will be reconciled with God. He's no longer serving himself, but serving God. Repentance is not merely feeling guilty and being sorry for our sins. It is a complete turnaround. A change of heart and mind that leads to a change in action, a change in behaviour. It's recognising our sins, feeling remorse for them, confessing them to God, then turning away from them. It involves a conscious decision to stop doing what we've been doing and start doing what's right. And David demonstrates a profound understanding of repentance. He acknowledges his sin, he expresses deep remorse, he pleads for God's mercy, he doesn't try to justify his actions and make excuses. Instead, he throws himself upon the mercy of God, fully acknowledging his guilt, expressing his desire to turn away from his sinful ways and help others to turn to God. And he wants to be an example for others to follow. Again, David turns from serving self to serving God. And although Satan would label him a murderous adulterer, he knows that he's still a child of God. He is loved and accepted by God. Your sin need not define you. You are not what you have done. You are a child of God. Satan might label you, but God calls you by name and invites you to be his child simply by taking Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour. 
You need not remain in a guilt-ridden state, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. With Jesus as your Lord, your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Praise God. If you're struggling under guilt because Satan keeps accusing you and labelling you by what you've done, then accept God's forgiveness. Accept his forgiveness. Ask for cleansing. Turn away from your sin. Turn to God. If the Lord is convincing you today that you need to repent, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, don't delay. Don't allow the devil that foothold any longer. And if you need to confess a lifetime of sin whereby you've never acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Saviour as paying the price for your sin, then do it today. I want to close with these words from Ephesians, and these are just such wonderful, encouraging words from Ephesians 1. Praise be. All praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined for a Sorry, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Praise God. Indeed.